Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Please join me in a moment of silence and uh, prayer. God, please enable me to set aside everything I think I know for an open mind and a new experience. Speak through me and speak to me. Thy will not mine be done. Thank you. Amen. I am a sexaholic, and my name is Neil, and I am uh, honored to to be here and to have this opportunity, and it's so wonderful to look out and see so many of you. So wonderful to look out and to see um, so many of you, because I'm I'm very honored, because there's nothing that gives me more pleasure than to carry the message of recovery. Uh, because I've been blessed to be gifted with recovery. And I am so grateful, Iris, for, for you, for Roy. I loved Roy. Um, it's interesting that you're here. I didn't know you would be here. Um, I carry Roy with me in my book. Um, I wouldn't be here tonight if it weren't for that man. And I'm so grateful that I came into the program early enough to get to know to get to know Roy and to get to spend time with Roy, because uh, he cared deeply for recovery. I mean, he had a passion. He just wanted people to recover. He wanted families to heal. And the thing I loved about Roy is he was direct. I love people that are direct. And if you ask Roy a question, you got an answer. And I, I appreciated that. And there are others in this room that I am so grateful for. Um, I know Russ is here somewhere. Um, Russ was in the first meeting I ever walked into. Um, many years I didn't see Russ, and he relocated to L.A., and suddenly I saw Russ again. And Gary White, Jason, David Maynard, William, uh, many people that have supported me on my, on my journey, and so I'm so grateful for, for all of you. Um, and I love, this, I love this program. I am grateful to be a sexaholic because I wouldn't have the life that I have if I were not a sexaholic. In fact, when I was, when it was revealed to me that I was a sexaholic, um, I was actually felt a sense of relief. Imagine that. Somebody says you're a sexaholic and you say, yes. <laughs> but the reason for that was because um, a therapist helped me to understand that I was a sexaholic. Up until then, I just thought I was a pervert. I thought I was weird. I thought I was just some freak of nature that no one acted like I did, that no one did the things that I did, no one thought the things that I thought, um, because I didn't know anyone like me. Now I do, but... 
I know there are many people like me, but I didn't know anyone uh, like me. And so I'll, I'll kind of start by telling you a little bit about my journey, but I'm going to tell you more about how I got to where I am. And I'm going to talk a lot about this book because this book is the solution. Um, for me, this and the white book are the only solution. And I'm going to talk about the book in terms of what the book says, because I believe personally that there's one program. I mean, I know many times you talk to people and they talk about their program and they talk about what they do. Um, when you open this book, it starts with in the forward that, that it was 100 men and women that had recovered from a hopeless condition. And I believe that they recovered because they only had one way, and that was the way that they were led to. Unfortunately, now we have all sorts of different ways to work the, the 12 steps. You know, if we went around right now, I work four-step this way. I work a four-step that way. How do you work your four-step? What do you use? What? There's only one way. Um, because the book says, I'm going to tell you precisely how they recovered. And to me, precisely means just that. It means it's precise, which means I don't deviate from that. You know, if I want to call Jason, I know there's 11 characters in the number that I have to dial to reach him. I don't expect to get him if I dial 10. I don't expect to get him if I dial the wrong numbers. And I believe that to be true about this, about this book. Um, I've been a sexaholic all my life. When I first started to realize it was when I was about seven years old. And it started with Playboy magazine. A cousin of mine had Playboy magazine. And Playboy magazine is, is innocent enough, enough. But when I looked at a Playboy magazine, I couldn't stop looking at it. Something happened inside of me. Now, I know what happened inside of me because the book says I have an allergy. The book says that I have an allergy to lust. And little did I know that allergy was triggered at the age of seven. Because something was happening, but I couldn't articulate it. And at that time, I don't think anybody else could have articulated it for me. And I was transfixed by that Playboy magazine. I would go upstairs and go into his room and look at it any chance I could. And that led to seeking out other opportunities to see, to look at, at girls, to look at, at women, anything that I could do. When I sat in school, I was always turning around looking to see if I could see under a girl's dress. Um, I wasn't interested in what the teacher had to say other than when I could try and look under the teacher's dress. You know, I mean, that, that's what I did in school. You know, I would walk down the hallway, and I'm bumping into people. Not boys, I'm bumping into girls. Um, didn't realize any of this until later. And it's also the reason that I do the steps every year, because what I'm sharing with you about bumping into girls, that came out in my first step this year. That came out this year, which has confirmed for me that this is an ongoing process. Um, by the grace of God, I've been sober for 23 years. And I don't say that to say, look at me, because it's not about me. I say that because the book says, and the third step says, that I am going to do things for you and to you so that you can bear witness to others. So I only say that I've been sober for 23 years just to bear witness to you of what God is doing for me. Because I'm no different than anybody in this room. Uh, we're on a journey and I often will tell people that 23 years doesn't represent me being any different than anyone sitting there. It's like we're on a cross-country trip. I just left before you. So I'm in Oklahoma, and you may be in California. But you're traveling the same journey that I did. And you'll get to the same place if you do the steps, if you do the work. And so my, my disease progressed. Uh, which led me to pornography, magazines, um, videos, 
you know, I got married. I thought that that would help. It didn't. Um, and it just progressed. Everything I said I wouldn't do, I did. Um, I just continually crossed lines. It led me to prostitutes. Um, I was always seeking sex. There was never a moment that I wasn't filled with lust. I was never sober. From the moment I started acting out, I acted out every single day. I marveled when I would meet sexaholics that would say, I was, I white knuckled it for 30 days. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> white knuckled it for 30 days. White, I may have white knuckled it for a couple hours. It's the truth. I never went a day. And that was a blessing because when I came into the program and I was sober for a day, I knew something was happening. When I woke up 24 hours later and I hadn't acted out, I already knew something was happening. And I, it brought me to tears to hear how it works because that was, that gave me hope. When I walked into a meeting, the first meeting I walked into, they read how it works. And I wanted to drop to the floor in tears to hear them say, rarely have we seen a person fail because something in me said, you're going to be okay, Neil. You just got to do what they're talking about and you will be okay. Because if rarely has a person failed, why would you fail? Why would you fail if you're willing to go to any length? So I got a sponsor very, very quickly. But let me tell you how I got there, though. I was, I was acting out with prostitutes, topless work. I could never get home. Um, there's a, someone here that I met that lived in Alaska. I lived in Alaska. There was a Glen Highway that was between my home, Anchorage and Eagle River. It was probably about 10 or 12 miles. I would leave work, and I would be convinced I'm going home. I'm not going to the strip club. I'm not going to act out. I'm going to get home today. And I would leave, and I would start to drive home, and I'm driving up the Glen Highway. There are days I would get to my driveway, and I would make a U-turn and go back into town to act out. I couldn't get out of the car and walk into the house. I had no power over the disease. None. Zero. As much as I didn't want to act out. And the pain and the shame that I felt, because I told my wife I was coming home. And I was on my way home. And to get to my, almost to my driveway and to make a U-turn and not to be able to get home to my wife and know that she's prepared dinner for me. And I'm not going to be there. Not going to be there. And my mind would say, well, you're only going to be a few minutes late. And a few minutes late would be suddenly at 6 o'clock, at 7 o'clock. Things didn't close in Anchorage until 5 o'clock in the morning. Neil would be out until 5 o'clock in the morning because he couldn't get home. He couldn't get home. I had no, I had no choice. And I didn't want to do the things that I was doing. So that's why I was glad to hear that I was a sexaholic, because I wanted to stop. And we went to a therapist, and I came home, and disclosure took place because Andrea asked me where I'd been, and I said I'd been with a prostitute. I'd never told the truth before. But for some reason, the truth came out of me. And I just matter-of-factly said I was with a prostitute. And she was obviously devastated. And we went to our therapist, our therapy appointment, and she said, Andrea immediately was, was devastated and crying, and she said, tell Susan what you told me. And Susan said, what is it? I said, I was with a prostitute. And she said, tell me that again. And I said, I was with a prostitute. She said, how can you say that so matter-of-factly? You say it like it's nothing. I said, it wasn't anything. She said, what do you mean it was nothing? I said, I just had sex with a prostitute. I said, it wasn't an affair. I'm not emotionally connected. I don't know this woman. I didn't know her name. There's no harm in that. She said, what was that like for you? I said, it was like going to the bathroom. I said, I had an urge, an urge that needed to be filled. And she looked at me and she said, you're a very sick person. 
She said, you're a very, you're a very sick person. And by the grace of God, she said that to me. And she said, I'm going to give you something to read. And she gave me something to read. And I went back to her and I said, this is me. She said, yeah, you're a sex addict. You're a sex addict. And then the beauty of it was, is that she was just like Silkworth. And that she knew she couldn't help me. She knew that I was beyond human aid. Because she then told me, I said, Susan, what do I do? And she said, I can't help you. But you need help. You need to find a 12-step program. What a gift. What a gift. I mean, she was my Dr. Silkworth. Because that's what he said in the book. He said, these people have a hopeless condition. And they are beyond human aid. They are beyond what doctors can do. And they need to have a spiritual awakening. And the medical profession can't provide that. What a gift. Because had I not met her, I may have not met you guys. And that led me to seeking SA. And I tried S programs. And I went back to her and I said, there's this program SA. And she said, what do you think about it? I said, that's the one for me. And she said, why? I said, because it's hardcore. (laughs) I said, it's hardcore. I said, and I'm hardcore. I said, I'm hardcore. This, This is what I need. And she said, well, I think that definition they have is unreasonable. She said, I don't think it's, 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 it's possible. She said, at least you could masturbate. It's my therapist. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'll try. <laughs> now, don't come running up to me afterwards saying, Neil, can I have the name of your therapist? <laughs> I said, I'll try. And I came into the program on December 4th, and I tried. And I went back to Susan, and I said, Susan, it didn't work. I said, I felt exactly the same things, the same feelings I felt when I was with prostitutes. I said, I feel like I want to die. I feel like I want to commit suicide. I said, it doesn't work. I've got to follow their definition. And I have. And the gift for me was disclosure happened, but I came for one reason, and that was for me. I came because I knew I had to get well. In fact, we sat with a therapist, And the therapist said, you know, you guys are about to embark on a journey. And Andrea and I looked at each other and said, you know, when we, at the end of this, we may not be together. We may not even like each other. We came together in sickness. We may not like each other in health. And we said, but we have to do this. And so we were separated in our home because we had talked about getting a divorce. And I was not averse to that. Um, Not that I didn't love my wife. I loved my life, my wife dearly. But I knew I was going to die if I didn't recover. It was as simple as that. And I knew that whether I stayed married or not didn't matter because I had to save my life. That's what was important. I knew my wife, my daughter, they were secondary to my recovery. Unfortunately, I got a sponsor that was very supportive of my recovery being first, and Andrea supported my recovery being first. So when... um, I would talk to him, as I've heard from many of you, well, I can't go to the meeting because my wife. I need to be home with the family. I can't go to a convention because I have a family obligation this weekend. Well, that didn't stop you from acting out. And my sponsor said to me, he said, Neil, I don't know about you being a husband. I've seen your first step. Not really impressed with you as a husband. (laughs) He said, I don't know about you being a father. He said, you're not much of a father either. He said, the thing I know about you is you are a sexaholic. And if you don't get well, you're going to die. And you're not going to have a wife. And you're not going to have a daughter. So I don't want to hear about your wife and daughter. 
All I want to know is your program is first. And fortunately, I had a wife that supported that. When I told her, that has to be first. So she never questioned my going to a conference. She never questioned my going away for a weekend to work on the steps. She supported everything that I did in recovery. And that was a, that was a blessing. That was a, a huge um, blessing. And I fell in love with this book. And the journey continues. And when I said I, that what I shared with you was revealed to me last year, that was true. Because I'm committed to doing this every year. Um, because I met someone about three years ago. She was an AA, and I went through a, a study with her. And it's a study where you work. You work through the book. And I asked her, I said, how many times have you done it? She said, this is my 15th year. I said, your 15th year? She said, Neil, you're no better than your last first step. She said, you have to be kidding me. If you think the steps you worked years ago mean anything today. She said, the book says you take an inventory. The business goes broke without a regular inventory. I said, but isn't the 10-step maintenance? She said, maintain what? You're sick. What are you maintaining? (laughs) She said, you're sick. She said, this is about continually a continuing progression of getting the junk out of the way that stands between you and God. As a speaker mentioned this morning, my problem is I can't access power. The power is there, but I can't access it. And the steps are about getting stuff out of the way so that I can access the power But God is very specific, though, as to why he's going to become the power that I can access, and it's so that I can be useful to him. You know, the third step prayer is a very powerful prayer. We say the prayer. I don't know if you pay attention to the words in the prayer. And that's why in the book it says, we think well before taking this step, because it is a very, very serious commitment. You're saying, God, have all of me, everything. That's that's huge. God have all of me. Personally, I almost am disappointed that we say it so regularly because the book says you take that with a, with, it's, it's sacred. But we, we say it so people don't really get the meaning of it. That's a huge commitment. You're saying, God, I'm, I'm yours. So everything from this point forward, it's, it's on you. It's what you want for me. And you're saying, I'm doing this so that I can bear witness to what you are doing for me. It's not saying remove my difficulty so that Neil feels better. Is saying, no, I'm going to remove your difficulties so that you can bear witness to the power that I am now allowing you to access if you continue to do the work to move the things out of the way that are blocking you from me. And so I have to continue to do that because it's just like working out. I can't work out once and think, oh, I'm okay now. I'm fit for the rest of my life. Those muscles start to atrophy. And it's the same way with this, with this book. I have to continue this program and to continue this process consistently because there is so much here, but I have to do exactly what it says. Um, the, third, the third step is just one area. You know, it tells me that I'm selfish and self-centered. I am. I'm selfish and self-centered to the max. And it tells me that these are my problems. It doesn't tell me that lust is my problem. In fact, I've come to understand for myself that there's a paradox with lust. Lust was killing me and lust was keeping me alive. And the reason I believe that is because when I start to look at myself in the steps, I realize that I am badly broken. And I look at what the book tells me about me being selfish and self-centered, being a director, being the actor, orchestrating things, always being pissed off at people, stepping on people's toes, retaliating, resentful, fearful, filled with a hundred forms of fear. And I realize no wonder I acted out. I needed to get away from me. If I hadn't had lust to act out, I would have killed myself. 
So I feel that the thing that was killing me was also killing me alive because I look at myself and I could not have endured me. I could not have done it. So lust was a friend in that sense because lust kept me alive long enough so that I could then enter into recovery to then get free of lust and access the power of, of God because I had the wrong higher power. I had, I had embraced lust as my higher power instead of, um, instead of, of God. It's, it's interesting. Every time I, <laughs> I always laugh when I get on an airplane because we get on an airplane and you sit down and they stand there and they say, put oxygen on yourself first. And I always think, isn't that what you would do? I'm selfish and self-centered. Of course I'm going to take care of me first. <laughs> I thought, why don't they say, be sure and help somebody else? <laughs> because the reality is, I'm going to think of me. I mean, and my wife and I, our, the barometer in our recovery has been, when I'm thinking about her, then I'm doing well. Because my needs are met by default. Because I'm selfish and self-centered. If there's a burning building, somehow I would find myself on the outside of the building. It would just happen. Because I am wired in a way that says Neil is going to take care of himself no matter what. So that's the other reason I have to do this. Because I, don't, I can't not be selfish. I do this and I have a spiritual awakening that allows me to be a different person. I am a totally different person than the person I was. You would not recognize me, the depraved person that I was. To tell you how sick I was, there was once when um, prostitutes became one of my drug of choice. And the reason for that was because I didn't want to be bothered with going out on a date. I just wanted sex. And it's like, why should I go out on a date and, and I may have sex, I may not. When here's somebody, I can just have a transaction and pay them. Well, I was in a situation where I didn't have money, I was broke. The thought occurred to me to rape someone. That's the thought that occurred to me. I want to have sex. And the thought occurred to me, well, just go and rape somebody. By the grace of God, I didn't. I even got in my car and I drove around. And God saved me from me so that I would have the opportunity to recover. And I share that with you only to say the sickness that runs in me has no bounds. And I have to be in this program and I have to be recovering because it's not gone. It is not gone. And the same things that would drive me to do, it would, it would drive me to do tomorrow if I don't do the work that is necessary in order, to be, in, order to be, in order to be free of it. And everything in this book tells me I'm very sick. I mean, the doctor says it. I have an allergy to lust. And the doctor also says I'm hopeless. He says I'm hopeless without a spiritual solution. And the book says the aim of this book is to help you to find a power greater than yourself that can free you, that can become the power that I don't have. And I have to continue to access that power because that power is alive and awake in me and well in me as long as I do the things necessary to access that power. And so we go through all 12 steps. It takes about six months, and we do the work. And what comes out of that is just amazing because I'm committed to working with others because the book says that's vital to my permanent recovery, that I can't recover if I don't work with others. But the book tells me working with others is taking them through the 12 steps. It doesn't tell me going to coffee with somebody is working with somebody. It doesn't tell me taking a phone call and having breakfast is working with somebody. This book says working with others means I take them on the journey that I'm on. And I share this because many of us, because I used to think that. 
oh, I'm working with a lot of people. I'm going to coffee, I'm going to breakfast, and I realize I'm not doing anything. We're sitting and talking. The hundred that recovered, they were doing this. And so now we sit and we talk, but we're working because that's the only thing that's going to free somebody from the, from the, the depravity of this disease, and I want people to get free. I really, really want people to get free because this disease kills people. It kills people. And the sad thing about this disease is you don't know it. Um, you know, I had a friend that had a sponsee who his wife killed him. He called me, lived in Sacramento. He said, Neil, I have a sponsee that just died. What do you mean? His wife shot him. There was a guy in a meeting that I went to, a priest. Show up on Tuesday. Where's he at? He committed suicide. Those are just a couple of stories. And that's why I feel so strongly about recovery. Um, it's why I'm so serious about it, because it is serious. And I think the sad thing about it is that heroin addicts know they'll die. Alcoholics know they'll die. Sexaholics, you guys don't know you'll die. You don't know you're dying. You don't know, because I often think sometimes when I see something and they talk about the car that crossed over and hit somebody in traffic, and I think, was he looking at pornography? Was he acting out? Was he in a trance? I can't tell you the number of times I almost rear-ended somebody because I went, into a, I went into a lust trance. And just by the grace of God, I slammed on the brakes and I was about to run into the car behind me. And it's unfortunate that we die and nobody knows it. They don't get to do an autopsy and say, you know, this guy was a sexaholic. He died from lust. <laughs> and I think it's sad because we don't take it seriously enough. You know, I sit in meetings and guys talk about I have a problem. It's like, no, you don't have a problem. You have a fatal illness. Fatal. A fatal illness means you're going to die. It means you're going to die. And it's important that we see that because if we don't see that, then we're not willing to take the third step. And that's why the first step is so important because when you see that you're going to die and you realize you're hopeless, then it makes it easy to turn your life and will over to the care of God. If you don't know that, you're not going to turn your life and will over. You'll give lip service to it, but it's like, why? You know why? I'm in pain. I'm not feeling great, but I'm not going to die. Talk to the alcoholic or the heroin addict that is willing to go to any length. They're real clear where the outcome is because they know about cirrhosis of the liver. They know about all the things that will happen. Unfortunately, we don't, we don't know that. But as many of us die as die from alcohol or any other, any other illness, and we need to understand that. And this is the only path out, but it's very specific. There is no your program, my program, his four-step, my four-step. It's very, very clear and specific. I do the four-step, and I start to see that I'm delusional because I always want to run the show. And I start to realize everything I thought about myself, given that I'm delusional, it's not true. I wasn't successful before the program. The things I did were I was doing as a selfish, self-centered, ego-driven person. You can't find success in that. Things may turn out right, but it doesn't mean that I was successful. I can't hold on to that. And I understand that about myself because I know that I'm delusional. I'm delusional, and I'm self-centered, and I'm selfish. And it's always interesting to, to work with somebody and hear them talk about all their past accomplishments. It's like, you got to be kidding me. You're selfish, self-centered, and delusional. Tell me about your accomplishments. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you did. You don't know how many people you harmed along the way. What you thought was great may fill a stadium of all the people that said, you stepped on me, you harmed me, I'm bruised, I'm battered. Because the book says, everybody I encounter, I step on the toes of people. 
and I don't even always know it. And then they retaliate. And then I feel like I'm a victim because they're doing something to me. So I have to go out and I have to make amends. I have to make amends. And I've never made amends and healing didn't take place. I've never done the steps and something didn't come up. Because as much work as I've done over the 23 years, I still become angry. I'm still feel fearful because the book says I'm filled with 100 forms of fear. And so I have to continue the journey. You know, I had a friend just ask me, when are we starting up again? You know, when are we going to start the work of the next six months of walking through the process again? Because he knows the transformation that, that comes from consistently doing the work. So I implore you, if you've done the 12 steps, that's wonderful. Continue to do the 12 steps because all you've done is scratch the surface. I can tell you I've never done a four step and there wasn't a lot of stuff that came out. Two things happen. I get the grace of saying, wow, that's done. I don't have that resentment anymore. I'm free of that. I get the cleanup stuff that I've created and I get to see that where I was resentful, it's not to the same degree, but there's still stuff there. There's still stuff every time I do my first step. And that has been my commitment. And this will be our, our third year of continuing that process. And a friend said when he saw me yesterday, he said, every time I see you, you look better. And the reason I look better is because I'm continuing what it is that I'm doing. Because who I am today is because of doing the 12 steps. I don't know how much God can reveal to me or how much God can do through me. So I'm committed to continuing the process to see what God's got in mind. Because I can tell you the life that I have today is immeasurable. Does it mean that I don't have problems? Absolutely. But, I, but today the problems aren't problems where I have to go and act out. It's a problem that I know that all I have to do is sit, as it says in step 11, and pause and wait for God to tell me what to do. And that works. It absolutely works. But you've got to get the stuff out of the way. And that's what the book says. We've got to get the stuff out of the way that's blocking us from God because God is the power. We don't get the junk out of the way. We can't access the power. And life sucks. I mean, it's very, it's very, it's very simple. And Andrea's right. I was so blessed to know Roy. I was blessed to be a sexaholic in Southern California. Um, what a wonderful man. And his aim was for the family to heal, was for the family to heal. He said, Neil, if, if the only thing that happens is sexaholics get sober, this has failed. SA has failed. He said, because this is a family disease. Families have been harmed. Families have been destroyed, and the family has to heal. He said, yes, the sexaholic has to get sober, but that's only the beginning. The family has to heal because it's a family, it's a family disease, and that can only happen if we recover. And if you look in the book, you realize it doesn't talk about alcohol after the very beginning because that's not my problem. My problem is me. It's that I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. I'm ego-driven. And that's what the doctor said requires a spiritual experience. And that's why Dr. Silkworth said they are beyond human aid if you have a hopeless condition. I don't know if all of you have a hopeless condition. I do. And I mean that sincerely. I do. I have a hopeless condition. Uh, some of you may just be the hard drinking kind of variety. I'm hopeless. And so I have to have a spiritual awakening. It's not, it's not an option for me. So thank you for supporting me on my journey and being there and allowing me because I can't do this alone. And it's just like the, the friend that asked me, when are we going to start? 
That's why we're starting, because he asked me, when are we going to start? And it started last year, because we were having breakfast, and we were talking, and he said, you know, I got this going on, what do you think? And we start talking and said, sounds like we need to work the steps. Sounds like we need to get busy. The sickness is, is still there. And we need to, we need to, stuff's getting in the way of us and God. And we need to get busy to continue to clean out the junk. So uh, my prayer is that all of you join me on this journey of accessing the power of God because sobriety is just the very, very beginning. But you got to get sober first. Then you really begin the recovery process. And it, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful journey. It's a wonderful journey. So thank you for being here and thank you for letting me share. to do the uh, seventh tradition and it's going to be for Seiko if, if you'll come on up and uh, this is Kay from the Seiko office back in Tennessee so again the basket's going to go around and we will have the square up front here those of you who have credit cards just max them out and uh, <laughs> just pay it by the end of the month and it'll be okay I'm going to ask William to come up here because I'm a little slow of voice tonight. I was sitting at lunch with William. Thank you, Steve, for allowing me to follow the last speaker instead of Iris. And William said to me, I have this good idea. He said, what about if we just suggested to people that they just give a certain sum per year for every year they've been sober. And I said, wow, William, that's a great idea. How many years you got, William? 22. I said, $22, that's great. He said, no, I didn't say a dollar per year. I said, 44, that's good too. He said, no. And he reached into his wallet, pulled out a check. Here, get, here let's get it right here, yeah. And it reminded me so much of Jess. Thank you. This check is for $10 per year. That's tonight's challenge. I want to thank every one of you, those who have a lot to throw in tonight, those who don't. You've all been at the beginning. Some of you are quite far along. And your central office has been blessed overblessed by your generosity and you can't begin to imagine all the wonderful things we're planning to do to help prosper and grow this fellowship all around the world. I'm going to quote another <clears throat> member who told me, you know, you really need to get used to the idea that less than half of the membership lives in the United States of America. And I went, Whoa, but that's true. Thank you, everyone, for being here. And for whatever you have to put in tonight, we'll be very, very grateful, and we'll use it well.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.